0: again. We humble humble ourselves before you right now and ask that you uh, speak right now through your word. Speak to us. um, Help us understand your will. Help us understand the beauty of your word and help us surrender to it, Lord. As difficult as some of these topics and issues are, Lord, this is your word and you've written them and you've given it You've given them to us for a reason, Lord. If it's hard for us to handle, hard for us to deal with, Lord, change our hearts. <laughs> you know, let us not ignore it or try to change it or, or replace it or fix it, Lord. But let us just be conformed to your word. Open our ears, our hearts, Lord. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. And again, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. And I, I ask that you use me. Take away my pride. Take away my anything that's of me, Lord. And just and just use me now to speak your word, to teach your word. We love you and we praise you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you guys ever had one of those... um? man, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have said that moments. Those moments that you just completely like, you say something and you're like, man, I, I regret that. I regret saying that, I, I, feel, not, I feel dumb saying that. I, it's, I, I've had several of those moments. I mean, I've, I've been always one of those guys that uh, spoke before I thought and it's gotten me in trouble so many times. And my wife could probably could tell you that, man, I've made some pretty serious mistakes Um, with my words. Um, But I remember uh, one time in particular, and I wanna share this this story with you. Um, I was about 19, 18, 19 years old, and I was working at this uh, clothing store that sold a lot of sports memorabilia, sports gear. And, uh, you know, I'm just there minding my business, doing my work, minding my business, you know, just stocking shelves and all that stuff. And this was up in San Francisco. And, uh, and these two, I guess now the politically correct word is little people came to the store, you know, and, uh, and they were looking around and, you know, typical, hey, what can I help you with? Or, you know, is there anything you're looking for? And um, they're like, yeah, we're, they said, yeah, we're looking for these, for these jerseys, for these, this particular type of jersey, hockey jersey. And I go, oh yeah, we, we have them over there. We have them right hanging over there. He's, they're like, do you have it in a size small? And I was like, no, but we have an extra large. Want me to get that down for you to, to try on? You know, do you wanna, want me to get you that extra large? And they looked at me with this puzzled look in their face like, dude, like seriously, you're you're wanting us to try on this? And these were really extra. I wouldn't be surprised if they were extra, extra large. I mean, these were huge jerseys. and. uh and then my my coworker was looking at me and he's like, "Dude, what's like, like you? That's almost like an insult. That's all, you almost insulted them because, you know, um, you're offering them an extra extra large, you know, jersey and they're like they were really small people." And I was like, "Yeah, you know, again I I put my foot in my mouth. You know, I felt really bad. I, I was like uh, I ran to the back like a little girl. You know, just like ah, I messed up. You know, <laughs> it was embarrassing. But I mean that's just one quick story and." Um, I'm sure there there are several more, just putting my foot in the mouth and I'm just thankful that we have a Lord, we have a Savior that uh, didn't have that problem. You know, we have, uh, in our story today, we have religious leaders that are are attempting to trap Jesus, are attempting to bait Him, are attempting to um, compromise His integrity are attempting to question um, what he believes about the resurrection. Uh, and, uh, And Jesus was too smart for them. And as I mentioned, our passage this morning, we'll be looking at a group of influential Jewish leaders who decided to put their differences aside and form this alliance. Unfortunately for them though, they underestimated the keenness of Jesus, and his extraordinary wisdom. They underestimated him, they didn't, they are like, oh, whoa, you know. And, and it, it really is a surprise to me, reading already through these 12 chapters, um, that still they were caught off guard. But yet, time and time again, we see that they underestimated him. And so as a result, their attempts to bait Jesus proved unsuccessful. And their goal to eliminate Jesus was becoming more and more challenging for them. What I hope that we understand, what I hope that as we walk away uh, today, as we walk out those doors, is that we see throughout this message, is that what we think is what what we think matters most to us is not always in alignment with what matters to God proper realignment begins with knowing the scriptures and knowing the power of God. Again Mark chapter 12 we're gonna be beginning in verse 13. Then they sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to trap him by what he said. When they came they said to him teacher we know you are truthful and defer to no one For you do not show partiality, but teach truthfully the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or should we not pay? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why are you testing me? Bring me a denarius. Bring me a denarius to look at. So they brought one. Whose image and whose inscription is this? He asked them. Caesar's, they said. And then Jesus told them, Give back to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. We begin in verse 13 with uh, the verse telling us that they sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to trap him by what he said. Now, they were the religious authorities who wanted to get rid of Jesus. Now, we, we saw who they were back in chapter 11, verse 27. We learned that they were the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. These were, the, again, the religious authorities, the religious leaders um, of that area, of that time. Well, this group decided to send the Pharisees, who we've already looked at in previous chapters, and the Herodians. Now, the Herodians, we haven't studied it. We haven't looked at it yet. This is a new name. Um, this, new, this is a new group. But they sent them to Jesus in order to question his integrity. And just as a way of reminder, the Pharisees were just were a, re- a Jewish religious group that fired that 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 uh, followed the entire Old Testament, out from Genesis all the way to the last prophet. They they followed the the whole New Old Testament. And the Herodians were the Jewish political supporters of Herod the Great and his family. They were basically um, the biggest political group at that time. Now, typically, what, do you, what happens when you mix politics and religion? And I mean, there's just, typically, they, these two groups, they didn't get along. They fought, and they argued, and I mean, they just hated each other. They couldn't stand each other. But what happens here, you've ever heard of that term? I'm sure you have, an enemy of my enemy is my friend. Well, they decided to unite. They decided to form an alliance. They realized that Jesus was a threat to both their empires, to both their livelihoods. And the Herodians and the Pharisees decided to serve together, decided to come together in their their hatred of Jesus, again, in order to destroy him. By uniting together, they they were hoping Jesus would say something that he would do something that would be religiously or politically offensive to either get the crowd to hate them or say something that would incriminate them. Now, according to Matthew's account, it was the Pharisees who spoke up. It was them who, who spoke here. Now, I want to reread what, what they said in the ESV translation, just to add a little bit more clarity. And, um, In verse, that's verse 14 in the ESV, it says, Teacher, we know you are true and you do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or not? Now, think about it for a minute. Had Jesus answered yes, you should pay taxes? What do you think that would have done for his reputation among the people? I think they, the people would have—they hated paying taxes to an oppressive Roman government. They would have. What do you mean we have to pay taxes? You know we hate these Romans. We, you know, they're they're intruding into our lives, and now you're telling us. What's wrong with you? They. It would have achieved the goal of having the people turned against them. And that's what, again, the religious leaders wanted to do. Now, had He answered no, they would have achieved the goal of Jesus saying something against the government. But as I mentioned early in the beginning here, Jesus was too smart for that. He wasn't going to fall for it. He he knew with their words, they were just basically being patronized. They were patronizing Him. He knew their hearts. Jesus knew who they really were, what was in their hearts, and what what, what they were attempting to do. In the beginning of verse 15, he says, by knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why are you testing me? And before they can respond with more flattery talk, before they can say, well, we're not testing you and we're just trying to, you know, hear you out and, you know, you're a great teacher, again, trying to patronize them even more. Jesus essentially says you know what go bring me one of those fancy coins go bring me one of those fancy coins so that I can just check it out so they did they brought him one and with one simple question he begins to completely blow apart their plan to trap him and Jesus pretty much says he looks at the coin and he says whose face and whose writing is in this coin and I'm, I know I'm making my hand big, but I'm, just, I'm using it as an illustration here. But it was—you know he's saying, who's, who's co- whose face is on this? Whose writing is on this coin? Now, I honestly believe that as, as the crowd, as the Pharisees, as the religious leaders answer Caesar's, they had no idea. They had no idea what was coming next and how shocked they would feel. And in verse 17, it says, then Jesus told them, give back to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Can you imagine? I'm asking you to imagine. I have an overactive sometimes imagination and, and I like to picture scenes. And, but can you imagine that scene as he says that? I can just hear that mic drop. Clink. And that was it, you know. <laughs> Again, amazing, amazing what Jesus can do with just a few words. I imagine as, as he's flipping the coin back to its owner, I imagine Jesus saying, if it's Caesar's, give it back to Caesar's, but give to God what belongs to God. So not only do we see that these religious leaders uh, marveled, in verse, at the end of verse 17. But according to um, Luke's Gospel, it says they were silent. And in Matthew's Gospel, it says that they left Him, basically, they left Him alone and walked away. Now, there's a couple of things I believe that this story can show us. These first uh, verses 13 through 17. The first thing that um, the story can show is that regardless of the motives or intent, regardless of our motives or intent, there is no question too difficult for Jesus to answer. We have a Lord that can't be stumped, that can't be confused, that can't be baffled, and it can't be rattled. There's no question too hard for him. Paul writes in Romans eleven thirty three, Oh, oh, the depth of the rich of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. If you've ever been searching for those answers to those difficult questions, you can come to him. You can seek him out. I know all of us do. We've all have questions that just seems like nobody can answer. But you can come to him. You can seek him out and he will answer those questions no matter how hard, how difficult, no matter, you know, how it sounds. He will answer them. It says in James 1.5, Now if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and without criticizing and it will be given to him. And let me be honest, those answers may not come right away. Those answers may not just, you know, he may not just come in the cloud and, or open up the clouds and, te- and speak to you and tell you um, exactly the answer to your questions. Right then and there. But believe me, from personal experience, he will answer them. He will answer them exactly when you need to know them. Not a moment too late, or not a moment too soon, but He will answer those those questions for you when you need to know them. We can't. I know uh, our natural tendency is to have that frustration and and to feel like, "Oh Lord, how come You're not answering? I need the answers right now." But we have to remember that His timing is different than our timing. His ways are higher than His ways, and. And maybe we just wouldn't be ready to receive those answers just yet. But again, it doesn't mean that we need to stop asking. It doesn't mean that we just give up asking. So even if you have to fall on your knees, even if you have to cry out, don't give up asking. Don't give up searching. Don't give up, you know, and, and sometimes that's, maybe that's what He wants you to do. Hey, just go on your knees and just cry out to Him. Lord, I need answers. I need you. And again, I have no doubt. He will answer you one way or another. But you, that's an, the, the other thing is you have to keep your ears open, you know, because those answers may not come how you want them to come. So God works in weird ways. You may, you may hear a commercial on TV and or you may see, uh, you may overhear a conversation from other people and He may speak to you through those things. But again, when you walk in the Spirit, when you live in the Spirit, it'll be easier for you to discern and to, to have your ears open and, and to know that it's from the Lord. Now another lesson this story shows us is whether it's to the government or to God, pay back what belongs to God. We're told in Romans 13, the Apostle Paul actually explains that God created two institutions in this world, the church and the state. They have separate responsibilities and separate missions to perform. The church is charged with proclaiming God's word and administering the sacraments. The power of the sword to rage war and keep peace as given to the state. And again, going back to, uh, to Romans 13, government, therefore, is legitimate and Christians, as Christians, we ought to support it. For this reason, Paul writes in Romans thirteen seven, pay your obligations to everyone. Taxes to those you owe taxes, tolls to those you owe tolls, respect, to those you, you owe respect and honor to those you owe honor. We may morally disagree and ethically disagree with how the government spends our tax dollars, but the moral behavior of the state is to have no bearing on whether Christians pay taxes or not. It shouldn't it shouldn't matter, we still have a responsibility to pay back to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, pay back to the U.S. government what belongs to the U.S. government. Christians are called to a special level of civil obedience, which includes paying taxes, no matter how burdensome or oppressive they may be. Now, if we disagree with how our money, our taxes, you know, are being spent, it's okay to speak out against it. It's okay to voice our, you know, our disagreement. And, and, you know, constitutionally we have a right to protest. But when it comes down to it, we have a response. I mean, this is, I know this is one of those topics that has been, you know, there's debates about it. There's arguments about it. Um, it, it, it does divide the church. But again, we have, I, I see what the scriptures say and it, and it tells us that again we have a, a responsibility, a civil a responsibility to, to obey and pay our taxes. However, there's also, there also ought to be a sense of obligation within every Christian to pay back to God what belongs to God. I spoke last week on how, he, as his people, God purchased us with the blood of his son Jesus Christ. God owns us. God owns you, God owns you, God owns you. If you're a Christian, you have been purchased with the blood of Christ. He has a supreme right. As God, as our owner, He has a supreme right to claim our lives as His own. It says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, don't you know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God with your bodies." So then, we are to render to God the things that are God's, including our lives, our liberty, our possessions, and our affections were his. And if you think again, it, it sh- you shouldn't look at it as burdensome. You shouldn't look at it like, what do you mean I have an owner? I, I'm not no one owns me. I'm my own person. You have a wrong perspective about it. You're looking at it the wrong way. If it wasn't for the blood of Jesus, you would you would have nothing and you'd be nothing and you would die with nothing. And because now he owns you he's giving you everything. He's given you absolutely everything. Now let's continue reading uh, by picking up where we left off in in verse 18. It says there some Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to him and questioned him. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaves his wife behind and leaves no child, his brother should take the wife and produce offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife and dying left no offspring. The second also took her, and he died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. So the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman died too. In the resurrection, when they rise, whose wife will she be since the seven had married her? Jesus told them, are you not deceived because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, They neither marry nor are given into marriage, given in marriage, but are like like angels in heaven. Now concerning the dead being raised, haven't you read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the burning bush, how God spoke to him? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly deceived. In verse 18, we're introduced to another group called the Sadducees. This is a new group. I don't think we've, we've seen them or read about them yet um, prior to this point. This was another Jewish religious sect who mainly focused on the first five books of the Old Testament, otherwise known as the Torah. Some people call it the Pentateuch. But if you remember, again, the Pharisees, they followed the entire Old, new, Old Testament. These Sadducees only followed the first five books of the Old Testament. And because the Sadducees could see when they did their studying and their reading, they couldn't see no teaching on life after death in the Torah, they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't, they, 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 as they read it, as they studied it, they weren't able to see any evidence in those five books of the resurrection, so they didn't believe in it. Again, whereas the Pharisees argued for the resurrection and life after death based on the teachings of the prophets. These two, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, man, they hated each other too. If you think that there are, you know, big differences in, in our in, in evangelical theology and those that believe, different, I mean, these two groups also absolutely hated each other. They couldn't stand each other. But again, As I said earlier, an enemy of my enemy is my friend. And like the Herodians, the only thing that united them was their opposition of Jesus. Now, acting on their denial of the resurrection of the dead, the Sadducees brought Jesus a question involving a weird case, and this is a weird case, touching on the resurrection, touching on the resurrection and marriage. Using, using Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 through 10, they speculated about a family of seven brothers who weren't able to provide an heir to the first dead, brother, dead brother's widow. They wanted to know that after what these religious wanted, leaders wanted to know was after the woman died, whose wife will she be since the seven had married her? Since they denied the resurrection, this was clearly a ridiculous illustration. In the minds of these Sadducees, they were picturing the resurrection as a glorified version of this earthly life. They were thinking that heaven was going to be just like earth, but better, more glorified. We were just going to be, you know, have better lives. And, but, but again, they didn't even believe in it. So it was like a ridiculous notion for them. But that's how they imagined it. That's how they pictured it. That somehow, a physical relas- that physical relationships would continue to exist between a husband and a wife. Well, in verse, four, in verse 24, Jesus, Jesus straight up tells them, you guys are completely wrong. You guys are wrong. Your mistake, he tells them, is that you don't know the scriptures, and you don't know the power of God. Then he begins, begins to explain to them how their belief about the resurrection is wrong and then shows them in the Old Testament why they're wrong about it. In verse 25, Jesus explains how they're wrong. He tells them that God is able to raise people from the dead and that the resurrection life will be different from this present life. He tells them marriage won't be necessary because humans will be like angels in heaven who don't die. And since we'll never die is there going to need be a need for reproduction is there going to be a need to have babies since we're never going to die no it's not going to be any need to have you know to have any babies up up in heaven we're going to be living forever in verse 26 jesus shows them why they're wrong he cites a conversation that Moses that god had with moses at the burning bush And that's from Exodus 3.6. Now, if the Sadducees were correct, those men were dead and gone when God spoke. But when God called out to Moses, He said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Had they been gone, had they been dead, had they been irrelevant and, 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 and the resurrection didn't exist, God would have said, I was the God, but they were alive and he was still their God. So Jesus finishes by telling them in verse 27, he is not the God of the dead, but of, of the living. And again, looks at him and says, you, you're deceived. You're wrong. How do you think you react? You went to school all these years, lived your whole life studying the, the, the Bible and the New Testament, and now someone's telling you you're wrong. It either will crush your pride or it will just make you even more angry, get you more upset. Now one of the things Jesus wanted to make sure we absolutely understood was that there's life. That this life, I mean, that this life isn't it. Life doesn't end after we take our final breath here on earth. When we die and breathe our last breath. Unlike what some of the atheists or some of these philosophies say is, we don't just disappear like that and that's the end of life. No, there's more to that. Jesus taught that there is life after, after death. There is something greater. Waiting if you're on the right side. You know, again, according to me, I, I, I was something I looked up. According to one researcher, of the 1,994 words of Jesus in all four of the Gospels, about 60 of those verses, that's roughly about 3%, might be construed as either directly or indirect, indirectly referring to hell. And 192 verses, that's about 10% in the Gospels, Jesus references heaven, eternal life, or his coming kingdom. Why do you think it was so necessary for Jesus to teach on that topic? Why do you think he wanted to teach on it? It may seem like he didn't teach on it a lot, but nonetheless, he did. He taught on it, and it was, it was an important topic, but why? Why do you think that? Well, just like this story shows us, there were some who just didn't believe in the resurrection, didn't believe in life after death. Secondly, he knew there were others who had an incorrect understanding of what that resurrection would be like. And lastly, it was necessary for Jesus to teach on the resurrection because he was about to prove it. He was about to show a bunch of people that it was real by rising from the dead in about a week. In those categories, I mean, do you, are you ever confused about the Resurrection? Are you not sure about the Resurrection? The Bible is clear about it. If you have questions about it, it's just a matter of searching God's word for it, having him speak to you through his word. It's there. Now, views about the afterlife really haven't changed much in 2,000 years. There are still people today, and I'm sure you guys can think of some, who either don't believe in the resurrection or have a false belief about it. Jesus explains in verse 24, there are two main reasons people are ignorant or deceived about the resurrection. The first reason is due to their lack of biblical knowledge. And the second reason is that they have no idea how powerful God truly is as believers and followers of Jesus Christ. If you're a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, God doesn't want you to be unaware of what to expect after you die. One of the biggest reasons people are so scared and freaked out about death is because they don't know anything about it. They're afraid of the unknown. They would rather deny the existence of life after death and to accept it, because if they accept it, they, would, they know that that would bring about too many answers, too many more questions. They would have to be, uh, they, knew, they know they would, they're going to have to be accountable to somebody or something. It is, a you know, for those who don't have that hope and that faith, there is that fear. But as Christians, we shouldn't have that fear. We shouldn't have that fear of dying. You shouldn't have that you know, those people that we love and we care about, we shouldn't... F- I mean, yeah, you know, I, I, yes, I, I know that we're going to miss them when they're gone, but if they're believers in Christ, we shouldn't fear where they're going to be at. You know, where we, that we're going to see that we should know and have a faith and hope that we are going to see them again. But you personally, you shouldn't be scared. You shouldn't be scared of death. I know I'm ready. I mean, if if I was to walk out this door right now and I was to, and I'm struck by a car, or whatever, and I know I know where I'm going, and I'm at peace with it. I'm fine. You know, I go to work every day, and sometimes I know it's a dangerous job. But um, I would, yeah, it makes me sad. I don't know what would happen to my family, but again i know god would take care of them and but i know where i'd be i know where i would be going do you have that same assurance do you have that same peace one of the reasons it's so important to read and study the bible is because everything we need to know about the resurrection is in there is in there it's found within the pages of the word of god the other reason is the more you know god's word Every display of his power will ultimately convince you that he alone has a power over death and life. It says in Deuteronomy 23, 39, See now that I am, I am he, there is no God but me. I bring death and I bring life and I give life. In 1 Samuel 2, 6, we're told the Lord brings death and gives life. He sends some to Sheol. And Sheol is talking, uh, talking about death or Hades or hell and Hades. And then he also says, and raises others up. Now, instead of showing you every single passage in the Bible that references the resurrection, because that would take me all day and that would take too long here, and you know, um, I'm going to focus here on what he says about it here, what he says here in this story. The first thing Jesus does in, does in verse 25 is guarantee a resurrection. Those who have place their trust and faith in Jesus will rise from the dead and be with Him for all eternity. Jesus said in, 11, in John 11, verses 25 and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die, ever, ever, ever die. Oh man, that that stirs my spirit because again I'm just like, ever ever, never ever ever die? Are you serious? You know? And Jesus says, no, ever, ever, you'll never die. The next thing He clarifies about the resurrection is the kind of relationships believers will have with one another in heaven. I love my wife tremendously, and and in heaven I'm you know I'm, I think about it sometimes. Will she still be my wife, and will I still love her, and will I still, you know, will I recognize her, will I know her, and will, you know, will we have this same type of relationship? But I think, you know, what, what it comes out, I, I, I'm thinking about it the wrong way, I'm looking about it the wrong way. Oh, according to this passage in Others, in the resurrection, marriage won't be necessary because perfect love, because perfect love with one another will exist perfect love complete perfect love will exist love will no longer be messy or confusing but instead be pure and genuine in heaven love won't be based on feelings emotions and physical acts rather love will be as God intended it to be flawless holy And complete and as I mentioned earlier because we have a new eternal and perfected bodies in the resurrection reproduction won't be necessary you see in addition to companionship the main reason God instituted marriage between a man and a woman was to make and have babies one of the main reasons just to repopulate fill the earth With more people. Now, since we're told that there won't be marriage, we will no longer have to make and have babies. Well, I won't have babies, but women won't be able to have babies anymore. And I think that you know, for some it's like, yeah, okay, it's too painful. You know. The last thing Jesus informs us about the resurrection is that believers will be like angels. Believers will be like angels. There's this myth, there's this belief that when we die, we get wings and fly up to heaven. We're gonna be angels. According to this passage, no, that's not true at all. We will be like angels. I believe Jesus put it this way because our simple and finite minds. Our human minds won't be able to comprehend, won't be able to, wouldn't be able to grasp the full description, the complete description of what we're going to be like when we're in heaven. In heaven, we won't be angels because they were created for a completely different reason. They were created for a, a different function, and their role is different than ours. There's one more thing I want to read to you here about the resurrection. And again, it brings, it gives hope. And there is basically, and it's another description, it's, it's uh, that whole chapter, verse, chap, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you want to know more about the resurrection, read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 but that whole, that whole chapter is dedicated to the resurrection. But about beginning in verse 40, Paul further describes the nature of the resurrection body. Now, again, pay attention and listen if you're wondering about what we're gonna be like when we're resurrected, when our bodies are raised from the dead. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse, uh, starting in verse 40. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is different from that of the earthly ones. There is a splendor of the sun, another of the moon, and another of the stars, for one star differs from another star in splendor. So it is with the resurrection of the dead, sown in corruption, raised in incorruption, sown in dishonor, raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. Sown in a natural body, raised in a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. So it is written the first man, Adam, came a living being, the last man, Adam, became a life giving spirit. However, the natural is not first, but the, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the, then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth and made of dust. The second man is from heaven. Like the man made of dust, so are those who are made of dust. Like the heavenly man, so are those who are heavenly. And just as we have, we we have born the image of man made of dust, we will also bear the image of heavenly man. Let me tell you. If you want to know the truth about heaven and the resurrection, all you have to do is read and study God's Word. The more you know the Scriptures, the more you read it, the more you study it, the more you pray on it, the more you meditate on it, the less likely others will fool you, the less likely you will be deceived, the less likely others will come and try to mess with your mind. And the more likely you'll be able to tell others about, about it about the faith that you have, about what they must do to ensure they obtain it, the more likely you'll be able to tell those who are freaking out about death, about what to expect, that there is hope. Now, as I finish up here, Jesus said in, in in John eleven twenty-five, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Let me ask those who are watching, who are listening, are you certain that after your last breath on earth will be your last or will be your first in heaven? Are you certain that when you die you will raise, you will rise from the dead? and be with God in, in the glory of his presence for all eternity. Do you have that assurance? Do you have that certainty? that If you were to die today, that you would be in God's presence and that you will be living with him for all eternity. If not, if you don't have that certainty, if you don't have that assurance, you can receive that certainty by asking Jesus into your life. You see, the moment you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are born again. And He promises that when you die, you will rise and be with Him in glory. This begins when you recognize that you're a sinner, when you repent of your sins and ask for forgiveness, when you do that with sincere heart when you do that and you really mean that, and you just, you recognize again your, how separated you are from God, and how much you've blown it, and how much of a sinner you are, and you ask for forgiveness from the deep recesses of your heart, God will hear you, and God will set you free, and God will just release you from all those burdens, all those sins. He will forgive you for all your past, present, and future sins. Listen, the, the, the choice is yours. You can believe and trust Him to continue to live, you, you, I'm sorry, the choice is yours. You can believe and trust in Him or continue to live a life apart from Him. He won't force you. He won't force himself upon you. He won't force, he won't do that. He wants you to willingly and freely come to him. In Romans 10 9, it says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And when that happens, you can trust the words of Jesus in John 6.40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the man, does, whoever Everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have eternal life, and I will raise them up in the last day. However, if you choose not to, if you choose to die in your sins, another type of resurrection is awaiting you. If you don't accept God's forgiveness, it's a punishment waiting. I want to read one more verse, and it's a warning Revelation 21 8. This is what it says about that judgment. But the cowards, the unbelievers, vile, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Again, the choice is yours, but if you're ready to be forgiven and saved. I'm going to close out in prayer and I'm going to lead you in a prayer. To accept the Lord. So let's let's pray. God, thank you again for this time. Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you, Jesus, that you've shown us again to to pay back to whoever we need to pay back, pay pay them back a bit to God. We need to get back to God, whatever. Belongs to God and we do we we belong to God as believers Thank you for showing us the resurrection. Thank you for giving us insight Thank you for revealing what you want to reveal to us about the resurrection And we're so looking forward to we're so looking forward to being with you living with you with our glorified bodies and our glorified minds and hearts What a marvelous day that's going to be. If you're listening and watching and that's what you want. If that's your heart and you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus. And you want that assurance that you will go to heaven. You will rise from the dead. And you will once again see your loved ones from the bottom of your heart. Just pray this from wherever you're at. God, forgive me for my sins. I'm sorry for what I've done. I repent of my sins And want to turn away from those From that lifestyle From those sins I don't want to live that way anymore Lord I surrender My life to you I believe that you died on the cross for my sins I believe you are God And I ask again I give myself over to you I accept your forgiveness, Lord. And I ask now that you fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I may live my life completely for you. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins, Lord, and I accept that forgiveness. God, I pray for those who prayed that. Fill them, Lord. Fill them with your love, your mercy, and your grace. Give them new life. May they walk with you from here on forward, Lord. And thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for blessing us. Thank you for this place, this room, this given us all these things, Lord, that we take for granted. And I ask, Lord, that you bless the rest of this day, bless this week. And may we just go out there and reach others for Christ. Bring others to get to the, to the knowledge and love of Jesus Christ to have, so that they can have life, spiritual life, so they can be also rise from the dead and be resurrected and be with us. Thank you again. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.